We interviewed Lynn Kohick for Jesus the Game Changer Season 2 at Denver Seminary, Colorado, where she is the Provost Dean. Lynn spoke to us about how the life, death and resurrection of Jesus changed the world, as well as the spread of the gospel by the early church. So Lynn, at the time of Jesus, what was the Roman Empire like? Well, the empire was uh, huge. It, it covered almost uh, around the Mediterranean. Um, it was powerful, very powerful. It was impressive. The army was impressive. And they built a lot of roads to manage the troops. Uh, there was a lot of trade. Um, all of that can sound positive. Uh, there was a single language that was spoken, a single coinage. Um, all of that facilitated travel and people going lots of places, kind of like today in the modern West, people traveled a lot. They didn't just stay in, in one town. All of that, I think, helped the gospel spread. But there was a downside also. I could point to at least two things. First of all, the Romans were ruthless. They were known for being ruthless. Uh, one of their own historians talks about, his name is Tacitus, and he talks about how he quotes from a, what, a chieftain in what now is Scotland, uh, who lamented that the Romans make a desert and they call it peace. And uh, so they devastated uh, the land and people, people knew that. So they, they were a frightening force, not really a force for peace in the way that we think of it. And then secondly, the culture was highly stratified. So everyone had their own little ladder, rung of the ladder. Um, and, and what that meant was you felt your own self-worth based on what other people said about you. And I think the power of the gospel was that each individual was beloved of God, right? As, as both Paul and Peter will say in the New Testament, God shows no favoritism. That you would not hear from a Roman. Jesus was referred to as a Messiah. What, what, would that, what did that mean? What did the term Messiah mean? Well, the term Messiah is a Jewish term. So you're not going to have something like that for the Romans. Um, it a, it's, means the Lord's anointed. Um, so the, the Jews, in their scriptures talk about this Messiah figure, this anointed one who will be king, but also a righteous king, right? Who will lead the people um, in goodness. Uh, the Jews in Jesus's day also thought that maybe the Messiah would overthrow Rome and kick Rome out, or that the Messiah would go into the temple and purify it. Uh, so those were the expectations that, that existed at that time. Were there many other people who claimed to be messiahs? Yes, as it turns out, uh, there were a few. In fact, we know some even thought maybe John the Baptist was yeah. because he was preaching uh, a holiness and uh, come, a return to God uh, with the fervor that people expected the Messiah to have. But there were others, and uh, we know of them from one of the Jewish historians at the day uh, called Josephus. He talks about a couple of men who uh, wanted to be king in, in kind of that messianic way. Uh, they were often, as Josephus describes them, they're tall, powerful warriors, ruthless. Uh, he, yeah, so that, that's kind of how he's describing them. How, did Je how was Jesus marked out as different from, say, the other Messiah figures? Yeah, well, I think uh, people were not impressed with his uh, prowess in any kind of military might. We don't, uh, can't imagine him being uh, tall and strong and celebrity-like, that's not at all. Um, but he was a healer. 
And I think that's what drew so many people, his healing, and then also his miracles. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, you know, we have uh, a, perhaps a, an allusion there to Moses feeding his people. Uh, and so I think people were drawn to Jesus' teachings for sure, but then the actions that supported his teachings. What was it about Jesus' teaching that made him stand out? I think he had uh, compassion. Uh, people seemed to really be drawn to him. Uh, and I think it was because he could focus on them. Uh, he certainly knew scripture, uh, but he was able to understand the, the spiritual side of scripture. Um, he, he followed kosher laws. It wasn't like he was a lawbreaker in, in that sort of sense. I think he just was able to capture the essence of, of the law for everyone. I think the, the average person thought, this is, this is a guy who, uh, who knows me, who understands me. And they were eager to, uh, to see what it was about him that I, I think he had a joy. And, uh, and, and I think that's what drew people to then ask him further questions. When you think about Jesus as a Messiah figure in the Roman Empire, tell us about the cross, because that doesn't seem to fit, does it? Not at all. Uh, in fact, it's, it's a scandal, right? Uh, and, and it was hard to, to understand. Paul will talk about that in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 uh, Corinthians, how people just didn't get it. The, the cross, to die on the cross was not simply painful physically, but it was shameful. And in the culture of the day, shame was to be avoided at, at, as much as you could. Um, and you were hung uh, without clothing on. Um, you were there just, uh, yeah, just, just exposed. Uh, and it was a long, slow death. So it, it was a way to terrorize. I guess I could put it that way. It was a real terror. And uh, we, we know the Romans had that in mind because they would put the crosses along the roads where people would see it. Wow. So why the cross then? The, the cross for uh, Christ was his way of sacrificing his own life uh, for the sins of the world. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is both our high priest, but also the sacrifice. It's kind of an interesting way. Uh, he's both. Uh, and that sacrifice is for the forgiveness of sin. And so that, that's the essence, I think, of the, of the cross. It, it's a bit like seeing the cross as a, as a transaction, a physical transaction. Is that how you would see it? Well, I think that it, uh, it certainly is talked about as that by which God forgives our sins. Um, that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This would be in Ephesians chapter 1. So, yes, I think there is, there is that. However, I think Jesus, in his um, call to the disciples to take up their cross and follow after him, and this is, of course, before he dies on the cross. I mean, it, it, it's kind of interesting. I wonder exactly how they would have understood that, because yeah. uh, we see it in hindsight now. Um, but I think what he was, uh, was getting at there is the nature of discipleship is one of self-sacrifice, one of service of others, um, and obviously service then to God. And it wasn't just the death, but obviously the resurrection. Absolutely, yes. The, the death is that atonement piece, um, but it's nothing without the resurrection. It's the resurrection that validates that God has in fact accepted uh, the sacrifice. And so Paul will say again to the Corinthians, this is at the end of the letter, you know, that if, if Jesus is not raised, then we're still in our sins. And, and we're pitiful. 
you know, because we're believing a lie. Today in a modern era, we kind of think, oh gosh, who could believe a resurrection? But it wasn't easy to believe then either, was it? No, it wasn't. Uh, most people thought that uh, they, they continued in some way after death, um, but it was terrifying to think about. They didn't have any assurance. Some of the philosophers thought that their soul would reanimate or would continue in some particular way, but not the body. Uh, the, bod the bodily resurrection, though, for Paul is so important because it does confirm that our sins are forgiven, but it also speaks to the new heavens and the new earth, right? That God will make all things new, that God is the creator, God is not defeated by sin. Yeah, following the resurrection, a relatively small group of people became very animated about Jesus. What changed? There was a power that, uh, and, and perhaps it was in part that they saw the fulfillment of what Jesus has said would happen. Um, they also were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and that gave them a joy uh, that was supernatural. Uh, and I think both men and women uh, had this uh, sense that th there was a purpose, right? And that the, the Lord was busy fulfilling the promises. The church from the earliest days had a focus on telling the message of Jesus to a broad group of people. And that's always been there. What did Jesus say that created that? He, after his resurrec resurrection and his appearance to the disciples, he said to them, go and teach this to all the nations. Uh, and, and so that was their permission uh, to go and do that. It, it wasn't a smooth, uh, path though, uh, very early on the Christians who were primarily Jewish had to think about how these Gentiles who were accepting uh, Jesus, how they were going to live together. I mean they believe that you're saved through faith in Jesus, but what about how we maintain our purity? What about how we uh, stand out as separate as God's people from from others. And so that's what you see in Acts 15 uh, as the church wrestled with do uh, Gentile men need to be circumcised in order to really be members in the day-to-day -day life uh, in, in the church. And what, the, what they decided was, in fact, uh, there is no set practices that Christians need to follow coming out of Judaism. Christians instead established baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper as those things which united. One of the early challenges for the church was persecution. How did that happen? The church was challenging some of the basic assumptions, the status quo. Uh, the church was centering its authority on Jesus, not on the temple. So some Jews were frustrated with that. They saw the center as temple. Uh, the Romans, they were always nervous of crowds. So anytime you got a group together, uh, they, they were nervous about that. So I think those would be the uh, reasons why people had a spotlight on this group. So in what form did the persecution take? Well, it depended on the uh, circumstances. Sometimes it was very violent. Uh, they lost their lives. Uh, but sometimes it was um, that they would not go to the shops. They wouldn't buy their goods or the family would ostracize them. Well, in that time, you really relied on your neighbors and your family. So to be ostracized was a really big deal. So it, it, 
The persecution varied, uh, but for those who claimed uh, Christ as, as Messiah, as their Lord, there was usually a cost. Mm. Given that it was a small group from a, the back end of the Roman Empire in Nazareth, and that they were being persecuted or ostracized, how did it grow then? Well, it grew slowly, uh, and it grew, I think, in part because of the testimony of those who gave their life. Um, it, I think it also grew because the, the message was compelling. Um, but, but you're absolutely right, it was still a small group uh, 300 years in. You know, before Constantine made it legal to be Christians, there were still persecutions. Uh, I think if you, if you really wanted to know God and you wanted to be with people who were incredibly sincere, then you, you probably fit in with the Christians, right? Because you couldn't just be nominal. You had to be all in, and they were. Tell me about Paul. Uh, he was a missionary, went across the, much of the known world at that point. Why was he so influential? He's influential for a couple of reasons. I think in part because he wrote letters and we have them. Uh, in part because he was such a uh, deeply theological person, very reflective in that, and we see that in the, in the letters. Um, he was uh, a Jew that was born outside of Judea, so he's very comfortable in the big Greek cities like Ephesus and Corinth. Uh, and, he, um, and he was tireless. And so he, he, he just started these small groups that had a chance to grow. Uh, even though they were growing slowly, they had a chance to grow. And I think that, and they preserved his letters. Uh, and so that, that made it, I think, um, a, a foundation on which the church could build. We talked about persecution. That was from the often Jewish leaders or the, the leaders of the empire. But there were often riots with average people, very upset. What did Paul say that made people so upset? He was talking to Gentiles primarily, and in this time, the way you did religion was the way your parents did religion. Uh, you didn't innovate. It was all about tradition. So then when you have these Gentiles who are following something very new, and even more, they're giving up what they had done, well, that seemed like a slap in the face to the gods. And if the gods are angry, they're not gonna bless our town. And so you were kind of like a, a sore spot uh, for the whole community, and that, that angered uh, people, and it made them nervous. Yeah. So th they were trying to protect their own well-being? I think so. I think they were trying to protect their own well-being. If you look at uh, Demetrius the silversmith who riled up a crowd in Ephesus against Paul, he also had some economic uh, skin in the game, if you will. Uh, and, you know, the, they, Religion was uh, woven into the very fabric, economic and political, of, of daily life. Uh, it wasn't separated out and there weren't secularists the way we have today. Everybody needed to uh, watch over their shoulder and make sure the gods were happy. You've done some research on what happened a few generations after Paul, but still very early on. Tell us about some of the women that you looked at and their lives. The women that, I, uh, that I've looked at often were martyrs because we, uh, we know that the church was very, uh, found the martyr story very compelling. Uh, it was the way the church understood itself. Uh, part of that was they believed strongly in the resurrection of the body and they admired these martyrs who uh, walked the walk of Jesus and gave their life, trusting that they would be raised. And both men and women were martyrs. Uh, this, 
there, there wasn't a sense that the women just stayed back. The, the women's voice was a challenge to the status quo as much as the men's voice, voices were. And so you have, for example, a woman named Perpetua who in uh, 203 AD died in the arena uh, when the beasts uh, were unleashed. She and, uh, and several uh, other Christians died there. She left a diary. And we know of her story, her struggle, quite honestly, struggle. You know, am I, is this going to be the end? And you know what the end is going to be awful, right? So, but then she also had these visions that gave her hope. And she shared those visions with others and provided courage for everyone. And they were revered? People like Perpetua were revered by the church? Absolutely. They were revered. They... Uh, they, the church celebrated what they called their birthday, the martyr's birthday, which was the anniversary of when they died because they, of course, were born to new life. Uh, and so the, the church celebrated Perpetua. There was another woman who was part of that group, Felicitas, who was a slave woman. I mean, that's the bottom of the social ladder. Uh, and yet she was revered every year. And I think what that showed the church was that all, all can follow God faithfully. Not all will be martyred. In fact, only a few were martyred. But it didn't matter if you were a slave or free. Didn't matter if you were wealthy or poor. Didn't matter if you were male or female. All were called to obedience. And that obedience may lead to death in the arena. It didn't have to. Um, but everybody took up their cross. Does it surprise you? Do you look back and think, I can't believe they did that? Well, I, I admire their courage, and of course today there are Christians that have that same courage. Uh, I've, uh, having lived in the States most of my life, I've not had to face uh, that level of persecution. Um, and, and when you're in that environment, at least what the ancient texts say, uh, Christians really formed very tight-knit communities, uh, and, and they educated each other on the truth of Scripture and held each other accountable and prayed for each other because they, they, it was difficult going. And not all of them uh, survived the, the test. Some of them did recant um, in the face of that. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I could have been one of them too. You yeah. know, it's, uh, it, it, but it was, um, you know, you, everybody played for keeps. Yeah. Is it, does it surprise you as well that the church continues to do mission? I mean, here we are, 2,000 years later, we're sitting in Denver, we're talking about the mission of Jesus, and it's still happening and it's never stopped. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me because I think it's woven into the DNA of the gospel. You, when you know that Jesus loves you and your sins are forgiven, you can't help but share it. And so whether that means that you go to a, another country or you learn another language uh, or you're just talking to your neighbor over the fence in the backyard, uh, there's something compelling about the story that makes you want to share it. Mm. This series' theme is to the ends of the earth um, and the, the gospel now has got geographically to the ends of the earth. So what does that word phrase mean for you now, to the ends of the earth? I think it means to each person. Uh, to each tribe and nation and language and tongue. Uh, that uh, throne room scene that we have in the book of Revelation. Uh, so it's not just a geographical marker, it's a people marker. Yeah. 
And finally, Jesus the Game Changer. What does that mean for you? What does the term Jesus the Game Changer mean for you? I think the, uh, at a couple of different levels, I would say, personally, as a game changer, um, I was drawn to the love that uh, filled me to overflowing. Um, my conversion wasn't uh, me recognizing my horrible sinfulness, although that is true, um, but it was being overwhelmed by the love. Um, so I would say that's a game changer. Uh, and, and the fact that God delights in his children, that to me is a game changer. Um, but I, I think also then more in, in terms of society, Jesus as a game changer uh, is, comes back to the cross. The cross that was an instrument of torture, uh, that was an absolute use of power. And Jesus defeated that in what we might call weakness, but in that actually re was revealed a strength. God's wisdom uh, is so wise, uh, sometimes it looks foolish to us, uh, but it's wiser than that. And so I think the challenging of the status quo that, that is often uses power in in bullying ways, uh, I'd, I'd say that's part of the game-changing nature of Jesus' message. It's